Michael Volkoff, and this is uh, episode 157 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today, we're going to review the SEC settlement with World Acceptance Corporation for FCPA violations, uh, amounting to $21.7 million. Um, great to be with everybody. Hope you're doing all right. Uh, it's a tough time, as we know. Hopefully, you're staying safe, staying healthy. Uh, before we get started, um, here's a word from our sponsor, Steel Compliance Solutions. Steel Compliance is the global leader in compliance and ethics management. Steel's compliance and ethics platform is comprehensive, robust, and easy to use to promote a company's culture of compliance. Steel partners with the world's largest, most respected companies to deliver compliance products and services that help organizations embrace a culture of compliance while protecting their brand. Building an ethical culture is a complex undertaking that requires a detailed understanding of the global compliance environment, considerable time, and specialized expertise. Steel's end-to-end ethics and compliance platform is designed to provide compliance officers with the solutions they need to proactively address changing regulatory and reputational risks. Steel's Ethics and Compliance Automated Platform offers critical functions designed to promote a speak-up culture to advance employee engagement, reporting, and incident management, investigate promptly and fairly potential incidents to ensure compliance with your organization's code of conduct and applicable laws and regulations, including anti-corruption, anti-money laundering, antitrust, sanctions, cybersecurity, and data privacy. Manage your organization's compliance policies and procedures to ensure that policies are updated and disseminated effectively so that employees understand your organization's compliance requirements. Educate and engage your organization to promote understanding in how your compliance program applies to -to day-to-day operations. And evaluate and monitor your organization's business partners, vendors, suppliers, and customers to mitigate risk and ensure adherence to your organization's ethics and compliance requirements. To learn more about Steel's compliance solutions, please contact us at email steelglobal.com or call 415-692-5000. Well, the uh, World Acceptance Corporation, uh, or WAC, or WACO, whatever you want to call it, uh, settlement is a pretty interesting case. Uh, the SEC uh, these days has been uh, coming out with some interesting cases and Perhaps uh, one of the things that's very valuable about the SEC settlements are the description of facts and the sort of lessons learned that you can get from that in terms of books and records, internal controls, uh, aside from just straight out uh, bribery cases. But uh, let's take a look at this case. It's an interesting case. There's some good lessons learned here. Also, it's just incredible to me the sort of lack of Uh, accounting controls that was evident or existed within a public company uh, in its Mexico operations. Um, 
so World Acceptance Corporation, a U.S.-based uh, consumer loan company, uh, agreed to pay uh, the SEC $21.7 million for FCPA violations occurring in Mexico, just Mexico. And that's their only international operations uh, otherwise. And they ended up selling their Mexico operations in 2018. But their violations covered the full gamut of FCPA uh, statutory violations, including bribery payments to government officials in Mexico, failure to keep accurate books and records, and inadequate, uh, if not wholly defective, internal accounting controls. And this scheme uh, that WAC, uh, and I'll call it WAC just for short, engaged in a scheme over a seven-year period from December 2010 to June 2017, and it was to further its uh, former Mexico subsidiary. And they paid approximately $4.1 million in bribes directly or through third-party intermediaries to Mexican government officials and union officials who are uh, fall within the definition of a foreign official. And, um, and a result of the bribery scheme, uh, WAC earned approximately $18 million. So WAC Mexico had two lines of business. They had an advance, which is a consumer loan uh, business, and then they had Viva, which was small loans to state and federal government employees. And obviously those, uh, the risks, the lending risk to the government employees uh, was lower because of the collections that were automatically deducted from paychecks and government workers tend to have more stable jobs. So these were important uh, contracts. These were valuable contracts to WAC Mexico. And they entered into at least 30 of these Viva contracts, uh, most of them involving uh, government and worker unions in the healthcare and education industries in Mexico. And to secure the contracts, uh, these 30 contracts, and to make sure uh, they got the contracts, bribes were paid to government and union officials. And government officials and or union officials uh, were responsible for signing these contracts or executing them. So they made bribery payments, uh, and they referred to them in emails internally as the glove, or they called them royalty payments, scholarship payments, or support payments. And all of the uh, bribe payments, interestingly, were paid in cash, which is just, think about it, it's just a reminder that uh, cash, you know, we used to deal with petty cash cases, and those started to diminish when people started to close down their petty cash accounts. But this was a, a situation for seven years where they got cash out. And uh, what they would do with the cash is either make direct payments, you know, hand the cash or a bag of cash or whatever it is, uh, to a government official, but they also did it another way. They would make bank deposits into a bank account or a bank deposit into the bank account of a relative or friend of the government official or union official. And they also used third-party intermediaries to assist in making uh, the ongoing payments. And the third-party intermediaries charged a small portion of the payments as their fee, so they got it like a commission. And then keeping up with the sinister nature of the conduct, one of the WAC Mexico intermediaries, uh, you'll like this story, flew uh, to different municipalities with uh, large bags of cash to pay officials. So you can imagine like a suitcase or a duffel bag or whatever it is filled with uh, cash, that's what uh, this third-party intermediary would do. 
The SEC calculated uh, that of the $4.1 million in bribery payments, at least at least $1.5 million was paid to government officials, $580,000 paid to union officials, and $480,000 paid to third parties who then transmitted the funds to government and union officials. Because of the lack of record-keeping at WAC Mexico, which we're going to talk about in a minute, uh, they were not able to track $1.5 million in payments and how they were made. But they know there was $4.1 million in bribery, and they probably got that from the cash coming out, unaccounted for. But nonetheless, there was $1.5 million that they couldn't account for as to who it went to uh, and how the bribes were paid. But the total bribes were $4.1 million. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting fact when you think about it. Um, okay, so... Uh, we had this uh, sort of cash scheme going on, uh, $4.1 million in bribery payments. And then along with this sort of bribery scheme, the SEC cited uh, WAC for books and records and internal controls violations. And the list of deficiencies is interesting uh, in that it covers almost every aspect of a financial control system. So, uh, for example, the illegal bribe payments were inaccurately recorded into the books and records as legitimate commission expenses, uh, which was obviously false. But their, attorney, uh, their internal accounting controls were interesting because they had no vendor management and accounts payable system at WAC Mexico. They failed to get reasonable assurances that they'd implemented an FCPA policy and adhered to it. They failed to provide FCPA training at WAC and WAC Mexico, and they lacked a sufficient entity level controls over WAC Mexico. So you can see in terms of internal accounting controls and internal controls, there were basically none. But going drilling down a little bit more, they didn't even have a vendor management system. So they didn't maintain a master list of approved vendors. They did not conduct formal due diligence or reviews on new vendors and did not have formal procedures or controls in place to approve the new vendors. Uh, as a result, WAC Mexico was able to hire third-party vendors easily for the purpose of paying bribes to government and union officials. They also didn't have a, an accounts payable system. Instead, and this reminds me of sort of my childhood working at uh, my first few jobs, you would have like a checkbook that had manual checks where the owner or the manager who had the authority to sign a check would pre-sign blank checks. Uh, and thereby, there was no sort of authorization limits over payments. Um, and you can imagine what kind of system that is. So, and then WAC Mexico uh, manually prepared a monthly spreadsheet that listed the checks paid that month, then provided an expense category for each check, and then they sent the spreadsheet each month to WAC without invoices or backup support, and WAC then manually coded each expense for recording in WAC's general ledger, and this is a publicly traded company, mind you, over 2010 to 2017. Um, the WAC Mexico senior vice president approved check payments with or without invoices. And beginning in July 2014, his authorization limit was increased to $75,000 to make payments related to any VIVA contract. Uh, 
But what you can see here, and it's amazing to me that the that WAC even got through auditors looking over their books on an annual basis uh, with the absence of these controls. And I haven't gone back to see if there were disclosures of material weaknesses in their internal controls. But I, if an auditor certified this uh, system, it's really it shows you about the auditing system and the weakness in their uh, auditor, uh, their auditor's performance. So that was just uh, just troubling to begin with. Um, then there was an interesting discussion at the end of the uh, settlement agreement and the facts when they go through the facts. Um, the SEC took some time here and uh, took a, a great deal of time to describe WAC management's efforts to diminish the role of internal audit and compliance. And this to me is sort of a horror story and whenever you start to see a squeeze being put on uh, compliance or internal audit, you know there's something funny going on. So in October 2015, the then CEO of WAC terminated the vice president of internal audit after he raised compliance concerns, including the lack of controls at WAC Mexico. The then CEO uh, combined the internal audit and compliance functions into one department under one vice president and had the vice president report to her, the then CEO. And she pressured, the CEO, then CEO, pressured the vice president to cut the audit and compliance staff to, quote, bare bones, close quote. Prior to this reorganization, the vice president of audit and compliance reported directly to the board and to the audit committee. Uh, the then CEO, however, directed the vice president uh, for uh, audit and compliance now to report to the then general counsel. And once the vice president of audit and compliance complained, the then CEO, uh, she terminated the vice president. Uh, then she handed over internal audit and compliance to the general counsel. So here we have the, I mean, it's ridiculous. You have a general counsel with three functions chief legal officer, chief compliance officer, and head of internal audit. And this was done despite the fact that the then general counsel had no prior audit or accounting experience. Uh, Wax then CEO told the then general counsel and an internal audit director that she did not care whether WAC had a, quote, world-class internal audit function, close quote. So interesting, uh, I mean, that's obviously an extreme and a horror story, but it makes me wonder, with regard to the then CEO, why wasn't she charged in this case? And uh, why isn't she charged uh, even before? Or are we going to see a separate enforcement action against her? But it seems to me like it's pretty obvious uh, that she must have been aware of the bribery, obviously, and did everything that she could to make sure that it wasn't going to be uh, carried out uh, and, and uh, discovered. So uh, interesting case. Look at the weaknesses in the internal controls. Look at the fact of how compliance was relegated to basically a non-function, the absence of training, the absence of awareness, the absence of basic uh, payment authorization controls, an accounts payable system, no vendor management, and there you got it, a recipe for disaster. 
So, uh, an interesting case. Take a look at it uh, when you get a chance. Um, and uh, thought we'd uh, sort of focus on it uh, for this week. Uh, and we'll be back next week with uh, more to talk about. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay in contact, and uh, talk to you soon. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website, www.volkovlaw.com. You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, mvolkov at volkovlaw.com.